Revelation 11. We'll be reading the whole chapter because it's worth it. John writes, Then I was given, given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, and they, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Because these two prophets had been a torment in those days who dwell on, to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at, the hour, and at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to, God, to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's peep temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. 
Father in heaven, as we pray before you this day, we look at these words and they are wonderful and they are mysterious and they are deep. Give us clarity to understand some of the basic principles here so that we may know how to live in your presence and in this world to be faithful to you in spite of what terrible thing might happen. May we not see it as terrible. May we see these things as just and the acts of righteousness that come from your throne. It is for your glory we pray. Amen. When our Lord walked this earth, he would very often teach his disciples and the people around him using parables. He would tell stories. And some of them weren't always very clear to some people. We understand them because we are believers. We have faith. We have been taught. We understand, usually understand what the parables are about and what they teach and what they mean to us and why, how they equip us. But back then, they were kind of brand new. The Lord taught those around him like no other man taught before. In Matthew 10, excuse me, Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came and said to the Lord Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. In order to understand the scriptures, they must be perceived with spiritual faith. Spiritual faith that comes from the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And the parables veiled that truth that Christ was trying to teach. The parables also convicted the people around them and exposed their sin. This is why you're not living properly. This is, not why you're, this is why you're not living according to my law, my word, my truth, my light. And this will happen. All of the parables pointed to lessons, weaknesses, lack of faith in the people around him. Exposing that led many of them to the Lord Jesus, but it convicted to condemnation, everyone else. Now, comparing this to Revelation, Revelation is mysterious, but is for Revelation is a book that is for the benefit of the believer. It's for the benefit of your faith. It is for the benefit of your understanding. And I know it's been quite a mysterious book, and there's been a lot of 
books written about it, a lot of lessons in sermon series and lecture series on it. But it's still a bit confusing. It uses mysterious language. It uses visions. Because it is for the one who is spiritually minded. I don't want to make you feel bad. I just want to challenge your mind and your heart. Are you spiritually minded? I'm not talking about ethereal, phony, pagan spiritually mindedness. I'm talking about biblical Holy Spirit spiritually mindedness. Are you spiritually minded? Some of us are very familiar with uh, video gaming, those games that you play online and you can build stuff or, or you know, Sim Cities or Sim or, or I, I don't know. You can get on there and get all kinds of weapons on your back and carry it and you kill people with them. Isn't that a lot of fun? But then once you're defeated at one level, or once you have success getting through one level, you level up. Right? Am I using the right term? And then on the next level, you get a little more stuff, and you get to go again, but it's a little bit harder. We understand the parables. We've kind of lived through those lessons. We understand how to apply them. When we look at Revelation, it's time to level up because this gets deeper and richer and more exciting and more honest. Jesus spoke and taught in parables. Through John, the Lord speaks through mysterious visions. And that's what been been trying to do to grasp the meaning of these visions because they are supposed to help us now, not in the future. May I paraphrase the Lord's words from Matthew? To you it has been given to know the secrets of revelation, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, not what he, even what he has will be taken away. Do you want to understand Revelation? We're nearly halfway through the book. Do you want to understand Revelation? Then prayerfully use the discernment and reason given to you by the Holy Ghost. And think through this. Think through all of it. Pray through all of it. Revelation will give you hope. Revelation will despair your doubt and fear. The book will help you understand all that is going on in this earthly world and help you see that it is all connected to spiritual warfare. Now, there's my introduction. I want your mind engaged. I want your heart open to see what is here. Because these next few chapters will get a little bit complicated, even more than what we've been through already, but they're not impossible to understand. They're not, really. Trust me.
This morning I'm going to look at a measuring rod, 42, two witnesses, and a trumpet. By a quick reference or quick review, I've been taking these visions from Revelation as recapitulation. Saying the same thing or talking about the same things or the same time frames from different points of view. We looked back Revelation 4 through 6 the perspective of, of, from the perspective of seeing these things as earthly calamity. And then Revelation 8 through 11 as a perspective of a judgment from heaven during the same time frame. If you remember the Revelation 4 through 6, we saw the Lamb of God opening up the seals off of a scroll as he sat on his throne. The first four seals, a horse, a horseman riding for conquest, second seal, a horseman riding for war, third horseman riding for famine, fourth horseman riding for death. The fifth seal, if you recall, the saints were reminded that we, we saw that the saints were secure in heaven and they were waiting for vindication from God and said, the Lord told them, wait until the last martyr is made. There's a few more of your number to come. Wait a little longer. And in the sixth seal, in Revelation 6, 12 through 17, we see a depiction of final judgment. In chapter 4, the Bible tells us the Lord assigned four angels to the four corners, put them in place, but forbade them to act. Don't move. Withhold the winds. And then we saw there a description of the 12 tribes of Egypt, or 144,000, who were also described as those who could not be numbered. All of the saints from the Old Testament throughout the ages of the New Testament are included in this number. And then the Bible tells us these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want to come back to that point in just a moment. When is or when was or when will be this great tribulation. That's one of the big questions a lot of people are confused on. If, they, if we could understand where the tribulation comes in, you could answer a lot of questions about revelation. Don't you think? I think I know when it is. I'll tell you in just a moment. Chapters 8 through 11 if you remember, is a perspective of judgment from heaven. Chapter 8 begins with a moment of silence in heaven. And when the Lord opens that seventh seal, that opens up seven trumpets. The trumpet that is cast or blown, cast down hail and fire and blood upon the earth. Second trumpet cast down a great mountain to the sea, which turns to blood. Third trumpet casts down a, a star as a star falls from heaven. That star is named Wormwood. We identified that as Satan. 
the fourth trumpet, the sun and the moon and the stars are struck. Terrible things are happening because of God's judgment. And then three woes are announced. And we've already been through two of them the past couple of weeks. The fifth trumpet, again, talking about the fallen star from heaven. Satan, Abaddon, released from this pit in hell these creatures as numerous and swarming like locusts, but they look like scorpions the size of horses. And the sixth trumpet, when it is blown, the four angels that were mentioned in chapter 7, the ones that were told to wait, are now are then released. But we see that out of all God's judgment, no one repents. That's terrible. There is the power of God in judgment. There is the power of God in judgment. Chapter, chapter, in chapter 10, we see a vision of an angel who I identified, or we shall identify, as the Son of God because Scripture describes him so in several different places. He looks just like, he describes similar words of chap, from chapter 1 and also from a depiction of him in Daniel. And later again in Revelation, we'll see the same kind of description again. So he has authority over the land and the sea, over all the earth, and over all things. The presence, the power of God in judgment comes to us through these trumpets, these plagues that are poured out upon the earth, and this is all in the spiritual realm. The presence of God in judgment is depicted to us in chapter 10, when we recognize that the Son of God, Christ our Lord, is in charge of it all. You need to realize, Christian, the importance of this. We're seeing very glorious words, very powerful, wonderful, mysterious descriptions, visions about our God, about our Lord, about the Holy Spirit. I read something this week, I believe it was by C.S. Lewis, Reminding us that the sun, the sun that we see every day, the one that is shining outside right now, is little more than 93 million miles away. And if you stand there and look at it, just straight at it, you will burn the retinas on your eyes. You will do damage to your eyesight. If you stand in it too long, it will burn your skin. 93 million miles away. The God we worshiped created that sun, and we have the audacity to think that we can casually walk into his presence without fear and without caution. This is the power of God in judgment, and this is the presence of God in judgment. We need to revere who he is. We've had a bit of an introduction. We've had a little bit of a review. 
So we're up to speed where we need to be this morning. 11.1, Revelation 11.1. I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple and leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. In the Old Testament, John is drawing upon his understanding. Well, he's doing so through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But since the Holy Spirit has already given man through Moses what the temple should look like, they are borrowing from those lessons. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Ezekiel 40 through 43 also has God instructing Ezekiel to measure the temple in the Old Testament through a vision because by the time that Ezekiel was told to do so, the temple had been torn down. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. If you look at any diagrams that you can find about the temple and how it was constructed, the floor plan for the whole temple area, the temple itself had within its walls, closer, closest to the Holy of Holies, Hall of the Priests, and then a little bit further away, within the sanctuary, the Hall of the Israelites. And then with just beyond that, the Hall of the Women. The only way a new woman would be allowed to move any closer is if she were bringing an offering. And then outside the temple walls, the temple building itself, or outside the temple walls, there is a courtyard and there was a gate called Beautiful. And outside of the gate called Beautiful was the court of the Gentiles. No Gentile was allowed within the temple walls proper. They, were only, they are always restricted to the court of the Gentiles. This is what John is talking about when the Lord said, measure the temple and all those who worship there. But do not measure the court of the Gentiles. If you remember in chapter 7, we saw the 144,000, all those who could not be numbered. This corresponds with what we're seeing here in chapter 11, one to, verses 1 and 2. It's a corresponding promise that the saints of God, the redeemed people of God, shall be safe and protected from judgment because that's what is about or what is going on when John sees this vision. My people who worship me in my temple, in my presence, are safe. But those who do not believe, those who belong to the nations outside of my kingdom, are not safe. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. It is given over to the nations. We see the temple as a picture of the holy city, which is another metaphor for the church. And Revelation is telling us here that 
there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some trampling. And it talks about 42 months. There's been a lot of confusion trying to understand what this says. Have we seen this happen? What, well, 42 months, if you take a month as 30 days and you measure that out, divide that out, that comes to 1,260 days. We see that a few times in Revelation. Preacher, this is not a very long time. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we notice if we ever saw this time frame go by? How long is 1,260 days? It's 42 months. Three and a half years. In Revelation chapter 12, we'll be there in two or three weeks. It gives us that, uh, a brief, I don't have time to go into the whole thing now, but a brief passage there kind of helps us to understand. In Revelation 12, John takes a further step back. We've been seeing these visions of the seals and the trumpets Describing the same period of time. What period of time is that? I believe it is the great tribulation. When is the great tribulation? It is metaphorically described as 42 months or 1,260 days, but it is much longer, just so you're not surprised and not confused. In Revelation chapter 12, John takes a further step back and looks at a broader picture of history. In Revelation 12, 5, it says, she gave birth to a male child. And now we know when we read this, it could be very likely suggesting that they're talking about Mary, but Mary was one of the faithful saints. She was a royal line of Israel. So she was qualified to give birth to a king. But, however, you must look at this with a broader scope or a broader understanding. That the royal line, the royal lineage, the nation, the people, the church, was in this sense the mother of the Lord Jesus. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. They go from his birth to his ascension, just like that in Revelation 12. And the woman fled into the wilderness. She stayed here. The church remained here. Very abbreviated, very broad picture of a vision about what is going on. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. There's been a lot of confusion about these limits, these numbers, but, but, but John is using this metaphorically. We've been in the Great Tribulation, the 1,260 days ever since Christ ascended into heaven, and we will be here until he returns. 
Now that's a little bit hard to get your head around because it's 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 very specific, preacher. But if you want to be specific about this, then you have to be specific about everything, and you have to be expecting great big bugs with scorpions' tails riding around the world, and you have to be specific about seeing horsemen riding in the clouds. You can't be specific here and metaphorical there. He's just defined when this time was. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've been washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. 144,000 who could not be numbered. The Lord is telling us there that all of his chosen, all of his saints, all of his redeemed will be included. There will not be one forgotten. And here the distance or, or the the time of the great tribulation is numbered. It's not a complete number. It's three and a half, half of seven. So we know that we don't have to suffer everything for the full time of seven years. So we've talked about the measuring rod, how that depicts the secure saints of God in his temple. We've talked about the time of the great tribulation. Let's talk quickly about two witnesses. Verse 4 of Revelation 11. Well, let me start at verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. I've heard preachers and teachers bring this to light, saying that we're going to, we should expect to see two powerful men. The Bible never names them, but they say that according to Scripture, their acts are going to be like that of Moses and Elijah. So Moses and Elijah are going to come back to life, and they're going to be the two witnesses. But it doesn't say that. What it does say here is that these are, verse 4, the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone should, would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Just for quick clarification, and I'll bring some scriptural proof here in just a moment. The Bible says these are the two olive trees. The Hebrews very often, almost always, got oil, particularly oil for lamps from olive trees, olive oil. And two lampstands. Here's the light of the Lord. 
Both of these give a depiction of the ministry of the Word and the Holy Spirit. The power of God. His two witnesses. The faithful preaching and teaching of His Word. Zechariah chapter 4, here's my scriptural proof. Every time you want to find some understanding in scripture, you use scripture to interpret it. And the angel of the Lord, and the angel who talked with me came again, this is Zechariah chapter 4, and woke me like a man who was awakened out of a sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it and the seven slips of each on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered to me and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We don't have the time to parse this out and dissect it. Perhaps we might get back into this next week. But this is the reference the Holy Spirit is pointing John back to. Two lampstands, two olive trees that were before the Lord. The oil and the light, the ministry of the Word and the Holy Spirit, these were the two witnesses. We are, as Christians, charged to proclaim the gospel. The church bears that light and that truth. These are the two witnesses. Acts 1.8 the Lord himself said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is your charge, brother and sister. Do you not realize that when we faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God, we exalt his holiness, we exalt his perfection, we exalt his glory? And at the same time, the faithful preaching of his word declares judgment on the sins of men. It rains down the fire. Now, we may not see it, but in the spiritual realm, it is promised to come to pass. Do you have eyes of faith? Or do you have to have physical proof? Revelation 11 says, fire pours from the mouth of these two witnesses and consumes their foes. If anyone could, would harm them, then this is how he is doomed to be killed. We are not promised to be protected in this life to where we live a life of ease and comfort. We are told that we, we shall be persecuted, but we are also promised that eternal life is ours and we have nothing to fear will we truly see fire breathing preachers appear with superpower that enables them to breathe upon the unbelieving sinners is that what you expect that would be something to see wouldn't it 
Get home after work and say, honey, turn on CNN. Moses and Elijah were preaching at the Vatican and they burned it to the ground. That would be something to see. I would tune in to CNN for that. At the same time, if that were to happen, the rest of the Christians would just cheer their heroes on while they sat back and continued to do nothing. We are to be the bearers of this light and this oil, this power of the Holy Spirit. That is our ministry. And it's been given us by the authority of the Son of God. And we don't recognize it. We don't see it. We should. The Apostle Paul told us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When Paul said the rulers of the darkness in this world, he was using a word that, a word that meant lord of this world, prince of the age. When he used a word uh, talking about being fighting against spiritual wickedness, the word literally meant spiritual depravity. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the prince of the prince of the age, and against spiritual depravity. Revelation 11 verse 7 when they had finished when these two witnesses had finished their testimonies the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street on the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where the Lord was crucified as we get closer and closer to the time of the Lord's return persecution will increase because people we keep rejecting the word of God they will be piling up wrath against them because of their sin. In verse 9 it says, Three and a half days some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presence because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. It's happened a few times, and I'm sure you've seen it. Just a few months ago, a woman was on the sidewalk outside of an abortion clinic in England, just praying. She didn't have any placards, she didn't have any banners, she was just praying. And someone came up to her and said, are you praying? Yes, she didn't lie. And they arrested her for it. Privately praying on the street about an abortion clinic where children were being murdered. Just this past week, I've forgotten what city is in, a man was on the street sidewalk preaching during a gay pride parade. You don't need to go to these pride parades 
they have redefined debauchery. Public debauchery. And here a man was preaching the gospel of Christ, was arrested. This is the kind of persecution we're going to see increase. They do not want to hear our word. They do not want to hear our truth. You may have heard recently of Bonnie Balkum made a statement. The culture of this world has written an 11th commandment. Thou shalt be nice and the first 10 don't matter anymore. That's what's going on. And if they don't think you're nice, they're going to shut you up. They're going to cancel you. Well, preacher, you're starting to preach politics. You need to understand this. You need to to accept this. Persecution of the church has already begun, and it will continue to increase, and it's going to come through political forces. So if I don't warn you about what's happening, if I don't open up your my eyes and, and help you wake up, you're going to be caught off guard. And I don't want that to happen. You're all very familiar with Matthew 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I need to park and preach here for a couple hours. The Lord said, you are the light of the world. You are the oil and the lampstands. You are the two witnesses, church. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give it, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. I struggle with language because a lot of people would think, oh, what an honor. I'm not quite sure that's the word. We've done nothing to be honorable for. But what a grace. What a grace. It is the mercy and grace of God to be saved and eternally loved by an eternal God. Even more, what a grace to be chosen to declare his truth to the world. What a responsibility. In verse 11, in Revelation, it tells us, After three and a half days, the breath of life came of God. The breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. If you were going to put the second coming anywhere, yes, I do believe Jesus is coming in. If you're going to put it anywhere in Revelation, I would say it would go right here. I'm not setting a date. I'm just laying out before your eyes a series of events that persecution will increase. 
the people will seem to effectively shut down the message of the church for a very brief time when the Lord's going to declare that is enough, come home. What a day. Something to look forward to. I get excited just thinking about it. We were talking about a few things a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday evening study, and bless his heart, Ted McClurk has, even so now come Lord Jesus. Even so now come Lord Jesus. He himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We should be fearless. A measuring rod, 42, two witnesses. Let me deal with this trumpet, and then we'll be done. Verse 14. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones, on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worship God, saying, Give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken the great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes and lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and heavy hail. Final judgment. Completion. The consummation. Christ in his church this is just a snapshot of it here we'll get into it more deeply as we go further into Revelation let us pray Lord we are thankful for this day and for this time together and we pray that as we digest this and think on this that it might become clearer in our minds and in our hearts that we might be encouraged and blessed with hope. Use us, Lord Jesus, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.